Thank you very much, our worship team, for leading us into a robust and wonderful time of worshiping and singing praises unto the Lord together. Uh, again, good morning, church, those who are in person here, those who are in the courtyard. Uh, you might be in your car using your personal device, or you might be joining us through live stream in your respective home. Uh, and our church in Arizona, 20-some of them, uh, and we all come together as a church to worship our great God. You know, in the midst of uh, COVID-19, we embark on the preaching of the uh, First Corinthians. Uh, it was a long series, but the good news is today we're coming to the wrapping up, the last chapter of First Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, the, the church in Corinth was a problem church, but the thing is we are learning from them mistakes not to be repeated so that we are able to be a healthy church, and that's where we are today. So today we are coming to the end of the exposition on 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul uh, was directing the Christian in Corinth to manage the God-given resources well so that they will edify the church and to bless others. Managing resources for a healthy church is the topic that I want to share with you this morning as we wrap up chapter 16. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First of all, verses 1 to 4, where we manage offering, manage finance. Verses 1 to 4 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit with a by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I'll just go section by section as I expound on God's word. Managing offering. So every time when you hear now concerning in the book of 1 Corinthians, by now you should know that those are the questions that were posed to Paul and seeking for an answer. They were asking concerning the collections of the saints. So, so the Corinthian church have heard about this collection that Paul was getting together for the Christians in Jerusalem. And they want to contribute, and that's a good thing. And the fund collected most likely will be used to bring relief to the great famine, the great famine that was mentioned in Acts chapter 11. And it was a great famine all over Judea, including Jerusalem. And probably the repercussion of that famine carries and lingers on until Acts chapter 19, until now, and they still need funding to support the livelihood. So Paul was calling the churches who are more able to give and support them. And it seems that the collection was widespread and extensive. Well, at least he mentioned the churches in the provinces of Galatia, and the province of Macedonia. That's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And they participated. Now, if you recall, the cities in those provinces include Pisidians Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and cities like that. So they all get together and support the church in Jerusalem to relieve their famine. Now, now, here is Paul's instruction how to do that concerning offering to the church and to support other people. First of all, he reminds them to participate fully. 
Verse 2 says, Each of you is to put aside something. Each of you. Young and old, male and female. So participate fully. Secondly, he says to give regularly. Look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, On the first day of every week. Set aside something every week. So give regularly. Now verse 2 is a clear indication of Christians gather on Sunday to worship in commemorations of Christ's resurrection. And it quickly became customary. The unsaved Jews, they met on Saturday, so it's different. And Sunday would have been a wonderful day, a natural occasion to put money aside for fellow believers. Since in the worship on Sunday, it's a great reminder of our identity and responsibility. And we need to love each other. So naturally, Sunday will be the great time to collect and gather uh, the resources together. And Paul's instruction was to set aside a little regularly now, little by little, little by little, so that you will not need to make a major withdrawal of your funding later on. So it makes sense to give regularly. So first of all, participate fully. Secondly, give regularly. And thirdly, give proportionately. Again, verse 2 says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, as the Lord provides, as the Lord prospers you, as the Lord bless you, you give accordingly. If the Lord prospers you more, you give more. If the Lord prospers you less, you give less, naturally. But the specific amount was not mentioned. It was entirely out to the individual's givers. That's how you give. You give proportionately. And now the funding is given and begin to collect and begin to accumulate. What do you do with that? So fourth, you need to manage the giving responsibly. Manage the givings responsibly. Verses 3 and 4, Paul gives three steps. First of all, Paul planned to send a representative from each of the contributing churches and gather them together as an accountability and say, let's all go to Jerusalem. So it's not one individual have all the fundings by himself and go, but we go together to keep each other accountable. And secondly, he wrote a letter of introduction from Paul. This is to guarantee that the money will arrive safely, but also the people will view the whole project as being honest because they can trust Paul. And thirdly, Paul himself in verse 4, he was open to the possibility of going to Jerusalem as part of the group if it seems best. So he was ready. And actually, after he wrote the letter, he decided to go. You can see the records in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. He actually went to go together with the brothers as accountability and endorsement to Jerusalem to give the funding to them. So if we look back on these four steps and four teachings here, we can clearly see that accountability and transparency are two good practices to manage our finance and our offerings in our church as well. And everything that we do should not only be above reproach, but that other people would not perceive it as such. Not just ourselves, but we don't want other people uh, to, to even perceive that there might be something fishy in there. So we don't even want to give some appearance of evil as we handle finance in the church so that people can trust us with their offerings. And those are being put in a good use for God's kingdom. So the reminder for today, Christians, as we appeal for offering, 
I like one pastor who wrote something about this and said, well, three, three good practices. One, no pressure. Okay, from this teaching here in four verses, no pressure, see, voluntarily, willingly. Secondly, no gimmicks. Okay, tell it as it is. Whatever funding is given for what specific cause, make sure it's given to the specific cause. No pressure, no gimmicks, and no emotional appeal. Don't play on the emotions of people to try to get more funding from people. And those are good practices that we should observe as well in our church. And give as you are able. You know, tithings, the giving of 10%, is not required in the New Testament, even though many of us use that as a good guideline. It is not required. But the New Testament has been teaching about the attitude of giving clearly. First of all, proportionately, it's being taught here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8-10, to 10, it talks about give cheerfully, give joyfully. And thirdly, give generously. So give proportionately, give cheerfully, and give generously. That attitude is expected. I know that tithings is not required in the New Testament, but if you use that as a good way of giving to God, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great good first step going into learning how to give tithes and offerings as a, as a way to show our thankfulness to God. But I also want to remind you that in the Old Testament, when it talks about tidings, if you average the tidings over seven years, because in the, in the Jewish customs, sometimes they give every year. There are some other things you give every seven years or every three years. If you average them all together, it's about 20% annually. That's the tiding of the Old Testament. So we have a lot to learn and to grow in the whole process. But again, as the Lord prospers, and there's no specific amount that is imposed on you, but you give willingly to the Lord. I think when we learn how to manage offering, I think when we learn how to deal with stewardship in money and finance and issues like that, that the real issue is not what percentage. The real issue is not how much I should give. The issue should be, is it worth it? Is it a worthy cause for the gospel? Do I care enough to participate in God's work? Can I trust the church? Can I trust the way they handle finance? I think these are the good questions that we ask as we think about offering today. Is it worth it? Do I care? Do I care about this cause? Do I care about this ministry? And can I trust that they will handle the finance transparently and give good accountability so that we know that they are being put in good hands? So manage finance well, manage offering well. And secondly, talks about managing opportunities. Verses 5 to 9. 16 verses 5 to 9. Let me read to you. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. It's important. If the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul was teaching us and showing us how to manage opportunities, doors of opportunities. 
I think there are two teachings here. First of all, expect detours. When you look at opportunities, expect detours. You see, Paul was in Ephesus when he was writing 1 Corinthians, and he was like telling the church, I hope to travel to north to Macedonia, and then coming south to Corinth, the city of Corinth, and then from city of Corinth, he will stay for a few months, maybe probably over winter, because you can't travel much in winter. The Mediterranean Sea was too rocky on, on winter. And then receive some material support from the church and finally go back to Jerusalem. And maybe with the brothers who were handling the relief fund for the church to Jerusalem together. They will go together. Paul's journey to Corinth did not materialize as he had planned. In fact, it took two detours before he finally arrived in Corinth. And by the time he actually arrived in Corinth and spent longer time with them, uh, that was about 12 months later. Detours. And he told us clearly that if the Lord permits, he expects detours. He expects and respects the Lord to intervene in his plan. We must plan, but we must submit to God's sovereign will. And you remember James chapter 4, verse 15 says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. There are circumstances that need meat course detour, and such is life. And you remember in 2020, it was a good year for our church, a special year for our church. We celebrated the 35th anniversary. We anticipate the completion of the new building. And we ordained three deacons, but we ended up ordaining two deacons. And one deacon left because of work to another state. And COVID-19 changed everything, right? In the pastoral meeting, we thought 2020 will be a great year for our church to launch the vision of building a vibrant church of disciple makers and be specific about steps and, and different ways that we can mobilize our people to bless the community and things like that and for the gospel ministry. But, you know, God intervened in such a way that we felt, you know, we have to submit to what happened. But the thing is the church trusted the sovereign God and we adapted, we press on by faith and not by sight and continue with the church ministry. There will be times where you feel like you are passing through. The nature is very transient. You're not certain that you will stay here for long, going to be here for long, in this job for long. You're just not sure. But somehow, the Lord is leading you to come here right now, and you are still watching and paying attention to God. And there are other times you may feel like, hey, this is where I want to stay put. This is where the Lord is taking me. It looks like it will be here for a while. And we all go through that. For some of you, you're ready for college. And you'll be there for four years, maybe longer. And what next? We don't know. For some of you, you are maybe at the brink of changing a job. Okay, this is not working out. There's some issues there. I'm not happy with it. You know, the, the working relationship is very strained and... and, 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 and uh, not happy and not, not able to work well. Uh, should I stay? Should I go? Others are thinking, you know, 
LA is so expensive, cost of living and housing and everything. Do I want to stay here? Can I make my living? Can I build my family? Do I want to move out of state and things like that? You know, our society is so, 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 so transient nowadays, and we keep moving about. The key is if the Lord permits, if the Lord's willing, I can make the detour as long as I walk with Jesus, as long as I'm anchored in God and anchored in Christ and anchored in the gospel. I can make that detour if the Lord permits. Secondly, when we talk about opportunity, expect adversity. Yes, in the midst of, in the midst of opportunity, there will be oppositions and there will be adversities, including Paul's uh, mission works that he was embarked on together. Verse 8, he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, if you put a period there, it's wonderful. But he went on and said, and there are many adversaries. In fact, he said, many. A lot of hardships, a lot of obstacles, oppositions, but I'm not leaving. Just because the work is hard, just because there are opposition is, may not be the only reason for you to move on to something else. But he saw that God in fact, open a wide door for effective work for him. That word open is in perfect tense. And the usage in the Greek language is that it is done. The church, the, the Lord opened the door and it, he kept it open. The door is open, wide. He will stay there. So why move away? Why take another route and detour? Stay put. This is good works. This is effective work. I'll stay as long as I can until the Lord shows me that it's time to move on. And that's how Paul was handling. He stayed in Ephesus for three years, three long years to take advantage of his opportunity for effective service. And you can see that in Acts chapter 19, he did not regard adversaries there as an indication of a closed door or as a sign that God is moving him uh, to, to, to move on uh, to something more comfortable or less oppositions. He stayed put, dug his heel, and he dealt with the opposition and keep preaching the gospel. And just to mention some of the adversaries, if you remember in Acts chapter 19, the pagan idol craftsmen, they caused a riot when their livelihood was threatened because through the preaching of the gospel, many of the idol worshippers, they were converted, and, many, and, and they didn't buy those idols anymore. So the business went down, and the people were not happy because the livelihood was affected. They caused a riot. And that's what Paul was dealing in the city of Ephesus. Guess what happened? Paul was immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. You remember last week's preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Because of Christ's resurrection, you can be immovable and continue to abound in the work of the Lord. In the midst of opportunity, when you manage opportunity, expect detour and expect adversity. You know, opportunity abounds in the midst of crisis. You see, crisis reveals our character. The real you will show, oftentimes only in crisis, 
Because in good times, you don't need to show it. But crisis forces you. You dig deeper within you just to survive. And the real yield is being revealed. The fache is stripped off. And you learn and you grow. And it humbles you. It points you to the gospel and points you to Christ so that you're more dependent on God. Crisis also stirs us into action. You know why? Because you only begin to move when you have a sense of urgency. When there is no urgency, you just stay put. All the dust being stirred up in the air, when there's no urgency, they fall back exactly in those right places. Nothing changed. But in crisis, when there's a sense of urgency, you make quick decisions just to survive. You make quick decisions because it is good for the whole group and whole team. And we experience that. But remember, opportunity tends to come to those who are well-prepared, those who are open-minded, and those who are courageous. Otherwise, opportunity just passes you by. Right? It comes, are you prepared to handle it? When it comes, do you have the open mind and say, well, it's not exactly what I expected, but that's okay. I can work. I can live with that. And when it comes, do you have the courage to embark on it and say, hey, let's go. It's time. I know opportunities are not very fair, but it tends to go to those who are well-prepared, those who are open-minded, and those who are courageous. So my exhortation to you is seize the moment. There are times in your life, there are seasons in your life, and in church life as well, that I wonder whether you are going through a season of sowing. You just keep, keep, you know, seeding and planting. There's no fruits, but that's your season. You're not well prepared enough. You're not open-minded enough. You're not courageous enough. Keep working and keep tilling the ground. But some of you may come to a time where it is a time for harvesting, and it will come because when you plant the seeds, it will come. It may take a longer time, but it will come. And for those who are in a season of harvesting, I would say seize the moment. Don't let the fruit ripen on the tree and let it drop to the ground and get rotten and be eaten by you know, gophers and other kind of animals. There will be a waste to it, right? Where is your season right now? What is the season of our church as our pastors look at where we are today and as we slowly falling back to in-person ministries and more and more ministries are being opened up. We are paying attention to God and ask God to show us that are we in a season of sowing? We've been sowing for so long now, Lord. Maybe it is a season of harvesting and we can harvest together the fruit of salvation for the Lord. And thirdly, manage people. That's the most important thing because the church is not people. The, the biggest resource in church or outside church or any place is people. Everything is done by people, is achieved by people, is accomplished by people. So how to manage people? Look at verses 10 to 18. Verses 10 to 18. Let me read to you. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the 
other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Nicaea, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the, of the saints. Be subject to such as this, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaetus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to this people. Manage people. How do you manage people? The first name mentioned is Timothy. And many of you remember Timothy, at least from what we can gather from the Bible in the New Testament, he seems to be young. So Paul says, do not let people despise your youthfulness. He seems to be timid and introvert. So Paul says, do not be ashamed of my imprisonment for the gospel. Okay? Uh, and, and Paul advised the Corinthians who judge by external appearances to give Timothy the respect that he deserved for doing the Lord's work, just as Paul was also doing the Lord's work. Timothy may be timid. Timothy may be, you know, uh, uh, not, not as vibrant and strong as Paul, but he was doing the work. He was called by God. He was faithful, and because of that, you need to respect him. There are Timothy-liked individuals around us as well in our church, I'm sure. They are young, not necessarily age-wise, but maybe their, 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 their faith in the Lord could be young, just a few year Christian. They are introvert. They need to be pushed a little bit, encouraged a little bit to do things or to participate. They are lack of confidence. So you can hear these common phrases from Timothy-like individuals. They will say, what if? What, what if I fail? Uh, not, not, not yet. What if I can handle that? They will hear from them, I'm not sure. Let, let me think about that. Uh, um, they will say, why don't you ask other people to do it? Maybe when everybody you have asked say no, then I might consider. I, I am pretty sure that you, were heard, you have heard phrases like that as you mingle in a congregation and talk to people and, 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 and stuff like that. How do you handle, how do you help, and how do you invest in people like Timothy in our church? Well, exactly as what Paul has instructed him, uh, the church to do it, says be easy on him. Meaning, don't stress him out. Respect him. Do not despise him. Respect him. Though he's young, he makes mistakes, but if he admits his mistake and say, I'm sorry, then respect him. And, and help him along the way. Send him back to me in peace. Support him. And that's how you handle Timothy-like individuals who might be in our midst and help them to grow together. And secondly, in verse 12, he mentioned about Apollos. The uh, Corinthian church inquire concerning uh, Apollo's plan. He said, now concerning our brother Apollo, they want to find out where he's moving, where he's going. Uh, he says, Paul says, I strongly urge him to support, to visit you, 
but he was not at all his world to come. He will come when he has opportunity. Paul's relationship with Apollos was friendly. And Apollos did not want to visit, revisit Corinth. Why? It was not mentioned here, but to, to give a, a reasonable guessing, it could be due to the division of the church where his name was used to garner a following to compete with other prominent preachers like Paul and Peter. Remember, we talk about that in chapter 1 to 4, the disunity in the church. And one group followed Apollos. And Apollo was afraid, maybe, that when he visited the church so soon, he may cause deeper division in the church. Not the right time. So when the right opportunity comes, then he will show up. You can tell from that very simple teachings. And if you look at chapter 18 of Acts, where Apollos was being mentored by uh, Aquila and Priscilla, you can see that Apollos was a matured and gifted individual. And, and he, he's independent. He works best when you trust his decision. So Paul was saying, like, you know, I try to urge him to come, but he's not ready, so, you know, we'll just wait for his time. Just wait for him. There are Apollos-like individuals as well, maybe even in the midst of the worship hall here. And they often will say things like, oh, just trust me. It will work. Uh, let me decide. I can do it. That, that's how they often the phrases that Apollo-like kind of an individual will you know, reiterate most of the time. How do you handle Apollos? It's good to have them. You need, they need respect because they are matured. They are not young kids, childish. So respect them. But secondly, give them space. Let them make decisions like what Paul did to Apollos. Give them space. They need space. They don't need you to walk, keep watching over the shoulders and they'll be unhappy and they don't feel freed to serve in that way. So handle Apollos well. Now before Paul went to the third group, he, he made a detour, <laughs> a detour before the next group of people to give some exhortations in verses 13 and 14. In fact, that exhortation are, were five present imperatives. In the grammar of Greeks, if you have present imperatives, those actions expected means those are ongoing practices which is expected of you. So Paul is really showing his expectation of the church in Corinth. Ongoing practices that is expected of the church in Corinth. First of all, he says, be watchful. Verse 13, be watchful, which means be vigilant. And also it can mean to anticipate the Lord's second coming. Secondly, he says, stand firm. Stand firm in the trust in God and in their commitment to his word. And then he says, act like men. <laughs> what do you mean by that? That act like men phrase in those years is often an exhortation as a call to bravery. Be brave and be matured. Be trustworthy, kind of a call. Be like a man. Act like a man. That's what it means. And then fourthly, he says, be strong. I command you to be strong. Be strong in the Lord rather than to be weak in your faith. 
And that really corresponds with 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Be steadfast, be immovable, for our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And finally, the fifth one, he says, Let all that you do be done in love. And that's the greatest need for the church in Corinth. You know, if our church take heed to these five exhortations, we'll be doing good. We'll be doing good. Be watchful. Stand firm. Act like men. Be strong. And let everything you do be done in love. And with that strong exhortation, he comes back to the third group. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus in verses 15 to 18. The Corinthians had a special problem with submission to authority. And Paul is trying to beef up the, the second tier or third tier preachers and Christian workers. You see, for Paul and Peter and James and all these great apostles, they have proven themselves. They have a good track record. You don't need to add anything else for people to respect them. They are trustworthy. But the second tier, third tier workers for the church in Corinth who don't respect authority, they have an issue with them. So Paul was trying to kind of beef them up in terms of acceptance and authority for them to be able to stand, have a good standing in the church in Corinth. And first person he mentioned was Stephanus. He said Stephanus and his family was Paul's first convert in Achaia. And they have given themselves unselfishly to serve the Corinthians. So Paul urged the readers to appreciate Stephanus and his family for their ministry among them and not to ignore them. In fact, to submit to them, come under their authority. Not just submit to Paul and Peter and James and everybody's willing to do that, but also second tier, third tier preachers. I know saying second tier, third tier is not really fair, almost like artificial trying to bring tearing to people. But for many Christians, they naturally have their most popular preachers and most popular pastors and less popular pastors. That's the reality. And he was saying that every one of them deserve your respect. Every one of them deserve your submission. If they are biblical, if they are truthful to God, if they are giving good advice, then come under their teaching. In fact, not only Stephanus, he says, treat others such as them with similar honor. Not just these three names I mentioned, but all the others whom you don't hear as prominent, respect them, submit to them, and work with them. So it is a great reminder for our church today that service and not status should be the basis of honor in a church life. Okay, it's service. How you serve, your, your, your character, your integrity, and not your standing, your status should be the basis for honor in the church. And verses 17 and 18 says that Stephanus had recently visited Paul in Ephesus with two other Corinthian brothers, Fortunatus and Achaicus. And he says, these people, they have all given refreshing ministry to Paul. Paul says, he refreshed my spirit. What do you mean by that? Not a, not a cold uh, Coke or, you know, uh, a Sprite from the fridge to refresh him. Not that. But when he says, he refreshed my spirit, he was saying that he, he gave me a break. Literally, it means he gave me a break. I can breathe now. He let me 
catch my breath. <gasps> it was hard, but with Stephanus and Fortunatus, uh, and, and they allowed me to catch my breath. That's refresh. And they were doing something great for the church leaders to continue to do their work faithfully. And Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize them, to acknowledge them for the good works that they have done. You know, I believe we have Stephanus-like individuals as well in our midst. And the common phrases that they will reiterate over and over again is, you know, it's about people. You know, people are more important than projects and, and ministries. Don't, don't neglect how people feel. Okay, you might have said that yourself. So you could be a Stephanus-like individual. And the more the merrier. We need all of them to bond the church together, to pay attention to little ones, to people who are standing in the corners, uh, to people who are not on the stage and under the spotlights, but doing a lot of works in some areas that people don't often see. But these Stephanus-like individuals, they will pay attention to them and say, hey, don't neglect them. Include them. Get them together. Acknowledge them. Respect them. And we need many of the Stephanus-like individuals to come and enrich the church life. You see, everyone is essential in God's kingdom. You know, our challenge as a pastor, our challenge as a leader of the church, is how do you match, match that individual with the right position? If there's a mismatch, then things will not work. That's our biggest struggle. How do you match an individual with the right position? Because as that individual desire for a certain ministry, the ministry may not fit his or her personality and giftedness, but they want it. And how do you manage that kind of attention that oftentimes uh, challenges posed before the pastors as we try to build a vibrant church of disciple makers? You see, right person in the right position will be performance, done well. Right person in the wrong position will be what? Frustrations. Well, what about wrong person in the right position? What do you call that? I call it a landmine. The wrong person in the right position is a landmine waiting to be exploded. It's a mismatch. What about a wrong person in the wrong position? Well, you all know disaster. Right? Disaster. How do you place the right person in the right position? That's an art. That's wisdom. That's experience. We're still learning. We're still learning. Be patient with us. We're still learning. And finally, in verses 19 to 24, Paul was giving the final greetings. Verses 19 to 24. The churches of Asia sent you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, sent you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers sent you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. In the final greetings, you can see greetings from an urban church, church in Achaia, in Asia, and you can see a church from a house, a house church, 
from the household of Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul also reminded people that we need to greet one another. And that's what we've been doing for all these weeks that we see each other in person and say, oh, I miss you. So good to see you. And it was so wonderful that we are slowly building up the church life. Not that in a COVID-19 online that we were not doing that, but you can only go that far. You send greetings and say hi, but you see a visual image through your Zoom, but now you see each other in person and we need to do some catching up to greet each other and make sure that we are okay and growing strong in the Lord. And he also mentioned about a holy kiss. And that, that was a whole common practice, especially in the Middle Eastern area. They still practice that today. Men kissing men and women kissing women, sometimes on the lips, sometimes on the cheek. Okay? Uh, and, and it was okay for them because that's a culture. They accept that. But I'm so grateful that Paul is not teaching our church to do the same thing. I think we'll be very awkward and say, no, not for our church. We are too conservative to do those things. But in verse 21 says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So apparently the custom of Paul writing these epistles was through a secretary. He would dictate to a secretary, and the secretary would write it down. But towards the end, when he gave personal greetings, he wanted to leave some of his script on the scroll or the papyrus in those days so that people know that this epistle is exactly from Paul. You can see his handwriting. It can be authenticated that this is indeed from Paul. And so from verse 21 onwards, most likely, all the words there are written by his own handwriting and not through a, a secretary. But verse 22 is a, is a struggle for us. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. What do you mean by that? You know, a curse is a strong word. A curse means to put you under the wrath of God, to put you under the judgment of God, to put you under the discipline of God. That's a strong word. But if you don't love the Lord, it says you'll be accursed. What do you mean by that? How, how bad uh, we have to be until we are being put under the cursing or the judgment or the discipline of the Lord. You know, scholars have different ways of looking at that, and there are different answers being posed as possibilities. But probably what, what dis displeased the Lord, what displeased the Lord to the point where some follow-up action needs to be taken for the good of that individual would be something that is being accursed. I can't really be so specific, but I think only the Lord can make those judgments. Maybe for the church in Corinth, it was those immoral practices, the immoral practices that still carry on in the church in Corinth and, and leave a bad reputation for the Lord's name and deter the gospel ministry. And maybe that's time when it says, well, my judgment, my discipline will come to you. And maybe some scholars speculate that there are some false teachers who taught wrong doctrines and that contaminate the whole community, and that's bad. Because if you believe in the wrong thing, you'll become the wrong kind of a believer. So those were accursed by the Lord. And others say, well, some ungodly practices. But what are those things? It was not clear. But we know that the Lord will be just, and He will do accordingly for the good of the Christians in the church in Corinth. And then finally He says, our Lord come. A very familiar Aramaic 
expression of Maranatha. Maranatha, which means our Lord, come. And then he ended up with two things that we need for the journey. One, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And secondly, my love be with you. Paul says, I love you. Every one of them. Church in Corinth, I love you. So the, the grace of God be with you, but I, my love go with you. And let's journey strong together. And that's how he ended the, 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 the first epistle to the Corinthians. My message for you today is really to uh, remind each other that a healthy church trusts God for wisdom in handling offering, opportunity, and people, or resources, so that we may optimize these resources to edify the church and to bless others. You know, we come to the conclusion of this teaching here, and we are coming to the right time, because this is a time where we regather. This is a time where we continue to do God's work. And we hope that the COVID-19 will continue to be low and then we can continue to reopen more and more ministries and come back to where it should be. But it's not the same anymore. After 18 months lockdown, it's not the same anymore. Things will be different. So people, let me encourage you, first of all, pay attention to God. Yesterday we had the deacons meeting. One of the deacons reminded us, Pastor Albert, when you first came, you keep reminding us to pay attention to God. Well, let me reiterate, pay attention to God. Before you serve, pray. Pray first. Seek vision from God and not your ambition, but from God. Build your team. You need a good team to serve together. A long ranger, sure you can do it, but you will not last long. Let's do it together. Pay attention to God. What is God telling us for 18 months of lockdown and the reopening? What is God telling us? Seek God before we embark on journey. And secondly, make sure whatever we do and whatever we embark is aligned with the vision of the church to be a disciple maker, to be a vibrant church of disciple maker. So as we regather our resources for the gospel ministry with the expanded and upgraded facility, let us seek God together and let us prepare our hearts together and let us embark together for this journey of building a vibrant church together. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the wrapping up of the book, the epistle of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for reminding us to walk by faith and not by sight and continue to lead our church to do your will. Guide us, lead us, and humble us on the ever-dependence of God. It is, it is through the work and the strength of our Lord that we are able to be your representative and witnesses as we continue to gather together for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.